Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 5a. And when Jesus had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, his mother named him Judas, by the way. Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth. Before we pray, please note 10.1, the word call. Please note 10.1, the word gave. Please note, 10.5a, the word sent. Called, gave, sent. Father, this morning, it is our distinctive privilege to think about how the ministry of Christ has been expanded through the use of other men other people, as selected by your good hand and duly empowered for such extension. Hence, we see ourselves in Paul's words to Corinth that we are ambassadors of Christ, representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in this age of the church. But we do pray that you would help us as we work in this very important section of the Word of God, not only to connect it as to its principles of application for our own lives, but also to connect it to the unique moment in history in which the Lord Jesus was making an offer to the Jewish nation concerning the promised kingdom, the kingdom of God. May we be careful as we work in this section of the Word of God to rightly divide the Word of Truth as those that study the Word for such. Bless then your people in understanding and application and bless those who may be among us who are yet unsure or have not been drawn as of yet to the person of Christ May today be a day of salvation. May today be a day of strengthening. May today be a day of spiritual reality in the life of everyone in attendance. We pray this in no other name except that name, the name of our Lord Jesus. 
and for his blessed sake. Amen. These twelve Jesus sent forth. The Greek verb translated sent forth is apostello. The twelve men selected and sent as recorded here in Matthew chapter 10 are first called disciples, verse 1, and then apostles, verse 2. The New Testament term disciple refers to one who is a learner, a follower of Jesus. The New Testament term apostle refers to a man uh, appointed uh, to a task. It refers to a person who is appointed uh, to a mission. It would be a mistake not to connect what we have here to that which has immediately come before it, as we will connect it in days ahead to that which immediately follows it. But nonetheless, you have here a marvelous moment in New Testament history that ought to be carefully noted as to its principles of application to our souls, as well as its historical significance as a moment in time. Many of the things that we are going to study this month, Lord willing, in Matthew 10, will directly apply to us, and some of them not at all. Therefore, it is imperative that we pay attention to what time it was, even as we pay attention this morning to what time it is, and I know that you would like that on my behalf. Pay attention, preacher, as to what time it is. Okay, I will. But I'm saying to you, pay attention as to what time it is. And I would trust your soul would say, okay, we will. Because it is my observation that many, many people do not know what time it is in their own life before God. It would be a mistake not con to connect uh, this uh, calling and giving and sending uh, to the formerly studied compassion of King Jesus in 936. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Please connect the Lord's compassion to his calling, giving, and sending in Matthew chapter 10. Furthermore, it would be wrong not to connect that compassion to the command that is given of the Lord Jesus in 9.38. What's the command? Pray ye. Jesus said to all his disciples that numbered far greater in number than 12, pray ye. The compassion of Jesus is to be connected to the command of the Lord Jesus to join him in prayer. And particular prayer or specific prayer, by no means a generic prayer, and the specific prayer has to do with workers. Jesus specifically asked all his followers, all his disciples, out of the stir of his compassion to pray with him concerning workers. 
And then it would be a mistake not to connect the compassion of Jesus, 936, and the command of Jesus, 938, with the commission of Jesus, uh, 10, uh, 1 through 5a. The commission of these 12 ambassadors who are extending the Lord's own kingdom offer and work to the nation of Israel exclusively in that moment of time. Again, please note that the compassion of Jesus for the multitude under the wrath of God and the command of Jesus for his disciples to pray with him leads to the commission of these 12 men. So the sequence of the passage is compassion, command, commission. Now let me just say that a little differently. The attitude of the heaven-sent king toward the sinfully weary and scattered people was followed by the king's admonition to join him in prayer for workers in that kingdom offer. And those prayers were answered when King Jesus took action to select and draw these 12 men unto himself. And so the sequence could otherwise be stated as the Lord's attitude and the Lord's admonition and the Lord's action. And then that which is the Lord's action is specified in today's text, Matthew 10, 1 through 5a, with these words, calling, giving, and sending. Next week, we will complete the first phrase of verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded. There's the four words that ultimately build the sequence of specification of the Lord's action in this moment of time. The Lord called. The Lord gave. The Lord sent. The Lord commanded. Next week will chase command. It would also be a, a mistake not to connect the number 12 to its prophetic and messianic significance. King Jesus selects the exact number of men reflecting the structure of promise given to Abraham that played out in the 12 patriarchal sons of Israel. The messianic significance of 12 was stated by the Lord Jesus himself as recorded in Matthew 19.28, and I think you have that printed on your bulletin outline. There, Jesus states that if these followers were faithful, the men would rule with him over the 12 tribes in Israel. The king had by this action begun, the king had by this action begun, the king by this action had begun to organize his kingdom rule. 
We observe that when God created the heavens and the earth, he established the sun and moon to rule day and night over 12 months in every earthly year. We observe that the Jewish nation out of the loins of Abraham were organized by their identity with Jacob's 12 sons. We observe that John's vision of God's city center has 12 gates, and at those 12 gates are 12 appointed angels. And by the way, Revelation also says that the foundation of those gates are named for the 12 apostles. We may sing he could have called 10,000 angels, but Jesus actually said that he could pray to the Father for 12 legions of angels at any time to assist him in his earthly work. The first recorded thing that Jesus ever said on earth, it wasn't the first thing he ever said, but the first recorded thing he ever said was, I must be about my father's business. And he was 12 years of age. We recognize that 12 is God's number of governmental perfection, rule, service, and power. Don't miss the fact that King Jesus picked 12 men on this occasion. Now this morning we want to dig a little deeper into the text, as it were, and we begin with the initiation of the Lord Jesus toward the twelve. Jesus selects from among the greater pool of followers these twelve men. Just like today, you have uh, uh, something in kind where the local church has a membership and then they have a selected leadership, membership, big pool, leadership, littler pool. In that same kind of pattern, you have disciples, big pool, following the Lord Jesus. And out of the pool of disciples, the Lord selects 12. And other gospel writers, Mark, Luke, John, uh, tell us about the all-night prayer meeting that Jesus engaged in selecting these 12 individuals. But then the 12, once they were settled in the mind of our Lord in prayer before God the Father, as prompted by God the Holy Spirit, God the Son then called 12 disciples unto him, unto himself. Now the timing of this selection uh, interests me. And, uh, and any of you that uh, are accustomed to, uh, uh, to uh, business uh, will appreciate the perspective that I'm about to bring. If you were to divide the Lord's public ministry into the quarters of a year, like business reports, its earnings and activity, it would be fair to say that Jesus was public for about 15 quarters of a year, or over years. Uh, 15 quarters of business, 15 
quarters dedicated to the Father's business on earth while bodily present. Now, because the specifications of the New Testament are not as precise as sometimes our interest would, uh, would favor, uh, nonetheless, uh, we'd have to be fair to say maybe 14, maybe 16, as many as 17, but somewhere in this zone of 15 quarters is all of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ first advent. To say it otherwise, about three and a half years or a little more. The way that I personally enjoy and, and, and see the best insight in regards to the Lord's ministry is to count the Passovers. From the first Passover to the second, from the second to the third, from the third to the fourth. Uh, that the Lord extended his ministry publicly over those uh, Passover years. But here's the point that I would make. For the first nine quarters of the Lord's business activity on earth, bodily present, Jesus ministered alone. Teaching, preaching, healing. Now I know that John the Baptizer uh, preached, and John the Baptizer baptized, and his ministry certainly was the forerunner and the pre-work leading up to Christ, but Jesus and John never actually ever worked together except the one day in which Jesus was baptized of John. Jesus taught. Jesus preached. Jesus healed. And he did that for nine quarters. A little over two years. He did that alone. And then Matthew tells us that the, that, that the perpetual and stirring, uh, gut-wrenching compassion of Jesus when he saw the multitudes of sinfully weary and scattered sheep of Israel, uh, that his compassion uh, led him at a given point in time uh, to command his disciples to pray. And specifically, they were to pray for workers to join him in his particular business at that time. And that prayer request among the disciples is answered when Jesus takes action, Matthew chapter 10. These 12 men are appointed to extend the teaching, preaching, healing ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now the process involved interests me because Jesus selected the men. He identified the ones who would represent his messianic business. And the first thing that he did is that he called them to him. And in today's text, the last thing he did was sent them from him. Called them to him, sent them from him. Called them to him and sent them from him. This is very important. Don't miss this. This is very important. No one should ever be sent. that hasn't answered the call to the Lord Jesus. 
much more important this Lord's Day morning than the structure of my outline or the ability to express the truth of God for your understanding is the fact that this week past has been a week in which I have attempted to walk with God in the light of his word and be close to my Lord before this moment. My calling is first and foremost to Jesus and in this place I am not alone. Your calling is first and foremost to Jesus. And yet some of you would have to say, well, it's the holidays. We had a party. We did this and we did that. Let me just say this again. I cannot find any satisfaction or contentment in my life apart from my calling to the Lord Jesus. And I would remind you, even though it's the blooming holidays, I would remind you that your first and foremost calling is to Jesus. The disciples... We're all called to him, but these 12 were called in a special way to him. And it is their pattern of, pattern of answering that call that puts them on the plane of leadership in all of God's dealings. God's servants are never allowed to be regular, commonplace as to their responsiveness to the Lord. It is to be personal and it is to be public. So, I tell you this morning with a confession of a soul that I don't feel good about everything last week in preparation for being here this morning to deliver my soul to you and the word. But I don't have any shame as I stand before you this morning, having walked with the Lord, told the Lord of my, my sins, and tried to present myself as ready to respond to Christ on this Lord's Day morning. Uh, would you give the same testimony? You should. You absolutely should. And not because I make you feel guilty because you love Christ who loved you first. I'm just saying, this baby will preach <laughs> without a doubt. He called them to him and sent them from him. They were already his disciples or followers, but as a result of his initiation, they became sent ones or Apostles. The modern word would be missionaries. These 12 men did not choose to serve as leaders, but rather Jesus chose 
them. He did not choose them because they had spent a career in business and now they have retired and were looking for something new to do and were happy to serve God. He called them. Later, Jesus would say to 11 of these 12, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus never said that to Judas. And of course, you would understand why. We continue with the word investment. The investment made by the Lord Jesus in the life of the twelve. Jesus called unto him his twelve disciples. He gave them power. The Lord's calling is matched with his enablement according to God-assigned task. The word power, verse 1, is not dunamis, speaking of capability and power from on high in the sense of enablement, but it is ekousia that we understand as authority. He called them unto himself and he gave them authority. Authority over the spirit enemies of the kingdom of God. Authority to validate the preaching, teaching ministry that they would do with miracles as an extension of his own kingly activity. The structure of the list of apostles is interesting. Each man is teamed with another. Mark's gospel account states clearly that the men went out in teams two by two. But here you have Peter and Andrew, and you have James and John, and of course you have Simon the Zealot who goes with Judas. And built into this commission was therefore a sense of companionship. No one in the Lord's service here worked as the Lord worked alone. Every man had a companion. And thereby, every man had somebody before whom to demonstrate his faithfulness. Every man had somebody to demonstrate his faithfulness. Every leader of this church must know this biblical principle, that it is an obligation for you as a leader to demonstrate publicly before the eyes of this flock your call unto Jesus and your selection in his service. 
There is no such thing as serving as men count service. These men were called unto the Lord and they were expected to demonstrate that calling in faithful response with companionship and accountability. The big three A's of this text are authority, ability, and accountability. Authority, ability, and accountability. If someone says to me, Pastor, I think God is, is leading me to become a missionary. I'm going to talk to you about authority. I'm going to talk to you about ability. I'm going to talk to you about accountability. Because ultimately, every person on a mission must face the Lord's issues of authority, ability, and accountability. Let's further summarize this point by saying that the Lord invested in the lives that he called to work with him in kingdom enterprise, and not just here, but increasingly and perpetually. There's a book written by Bruce called The Training of the Twelve. It's about yay thick. And it characterizes the whole of, uh, of the gospel presentation, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, under the banner of the training of these men. And, uh, and you come to understand the fact that the Lord uh, uh, has, has already, in many ways, even as we've studied previously in this gospel account, uh, uh, been doing things for public and general consumption, as well as things that are uniquely refining and honing and developing the men of his calling to extend, as it were, uh, his offer to the nation of Israel at that particular and given time. A kingdom enterprise is the calling of those 12 men, and uh, I would beg you to see that uh, here. And let me just say to you that if you do see that with me, and I'm going to stick with it, I'm going to be preaching that way all the way through the rest of Matthew, but if you see that with me, you will be in the minority of Christianity. Because the great emphasis of our day so blends together the Old Testament with the New Testament and makes everything generic for all of the children of God that the whole preaching point that I'm going to be bringing to you in the Gospel of Matthew concerning the Lord's bona fide offer of the kingdom of God to the Jewish nation in the first century, which was rejected, and thereby opening the door to the Gentiles of salvation that you and I have claimed in Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that whole concept is lost in the vast majority of Christianity in our day. I would honker back all the way to one of the early church fathers, Augustine, or you may call him Augustine, I don't care, he's dead, he don't either. But however you call his name, he said, recognize the times, recognize the biblical times, and thereby understand the scriptures. There's something very important in answering the question personally. There's something very important in answering the question biblically. What time is it? And I've called your attention to the time that it was, and I will continue to do that throughout the presentation of Matthew here right until the end. 
That brings us thirdly this morning to the impact of these 12, both as to blessing and as to betrayal. There seems to be a further organization of the 12 into three groups of four. If you read and reread 2-3, you will soon discover grammatically three groups of four. Certainly the inner circle, we might call them group number one, of disciples called to be apostles are the most public in their testimony to the Lord Jesus after his death and resurrection. Uh, two gospel accounts, five New Testament epistles, and the revelation come to us from tier one leaders. Verse two, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Peter and John, responsible for two Gospels, five epistles, and the Revelation. Eight of 27 New Testament Bible books come from those two men in tier one. And they're joined by their brothers. From the second group, we have also received significant testimony and impact. We are right now, of course, studying Matthew's Gospel account. That makes nine of 27 New Testament books coming from the named individuals in Matthew chapter 10, one to three, or one to four. That's a phenomenal thing in itself. One third of the New Testament scriptures we love and teach and preach come from these named individuals. From the second group, you have Matthew. And then of course you have reference to Bartholomew, who is also called in John chapter 1, Nathaniel. And that testimony, Nathaniel's testimony, would be the outstanding testimony at the beginning of John's gospel. And then in that second group, you have mention of Thomas, who is the outstanding testimony at the end of John's gospel. It was Thomas who first said, my Lord and my God. Thomas was the first of the apostles to say, Jesus is God. Uh, nonetheless, from that second tier, significant testimony and impact. And then the group of uh, the men of group three are lesser known, uh, and uh, their blessing is uh, quite often overshadowed uh, by the betrayal of Judas. With these things in mind, I'd like us to cast some further spiritual light on three related issues this morning as the clock allows. Number one, these men were not chosen because of their outstanding ability or competency. They were chosen from among those who followed the Lord. What made them great was not what they brought to Jesus. 
but what Jesus brought to them. According to his own desire. For the sake of time, we won't turn, but we could turn to John chapter 17 and understand that these are the 12 men who were selected before the foundation of the world by God the Father and were given to God the Son as his first sphere of kingdom extension to Israel in the first advent. Every named man appointed of God the Father as a gift to God the Son, including the betrayer. Well, that'll blow your mind. Jesus invested in them according to his own desire, which was the desire of God the Father and the desire of God the Holy Spirit. That sense of the Lord's calling and using people today works exactly the same. I'm not saying that the Lord emphasizes an anti-competency message. And we have the wonderful testimony of Paul, who we know from a human standpoint was most competent. And yet I would remind you of what Paul had to come to in himself concerning his own human competency. When he declares, and I believe with tears, saying, I counted everything loss for Christ. And that's the only way that a man of human competency can actually serve the Lord. Our adults have studied recently on Wednesday in Paul's first letter to Corinth that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every believer for the profit of the local church family. 1 Corinthians 12.7. What does that mean? That means that I can, without doubt, speak to you personally about the Lord's calling in your life and the Lord's uh, unique investing in your life by means of gifted or grace from the Spirit. And you, like these men, were responsible to exercise themselves responsibly uh, uh, relative to the gifts that God gave them. Every believer, 1 Corinthians 12, is to exercise themselves responsibly for the benefit of the whole of the church. Most people come to church with the idea, I hope I get something out of it. You and I ought to come to the gathering of God's people with the attitude, I hope other people are benefited by what I bring to them in this hour. 
God has gifted you, as he's gifted me, to do something with that gift to benefit this local flock. You cannot serve God in a vacuum. Your service must be rendered unto God's family. And I'm not going to tell you there aren't other places you can find God's family. But certainly I should say to you, you can find it here. And since you're here, you ought to find it here. And quit thinking about your ministry and start thinking about the Lord's ministry to which you have been appointed. The applications are rich. It's just that the historical moment must not be missed. Secondly, if ministry position, if ministry position, if being a pastor could matter in heaven, it doesn't. If being a deacon could matter in heaven, and it doesn't. If being the treasurer could matter in heaven, and it doesn't. If being the clerk could matter in heaven, and it doesn't. If being the financial secretary could matter in heaven, and it doesn't. If being the head usher could matter in heaven, and it doesn't. But if ministry, possession, and service could secure the soul, then Judas would have never been lost. No one is secure in relationship with God because they serve or hold a ministry position. There will be proportionately as many pastors, missionaries, and deacons in the lake of fire as there are those without ever holding such notable positions. Jesus said to God the Father, none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. John 17. That brings me to the third thing I want to state this morning and that is that the weirdest observation of all in regards to the historical moment of which we study is that these apostles, as called and given authority and power and sent, the apostles here failed to accomplish that which they believed was the goal of their assignment. They believed the goal of their assignment was to usher in the promised kingdom of God. If that was in fact the real goal of God in Christ at that time, then we could say that both the apostles and the Lord Jesus himself failed. This failure to have the kingdom established in Israel, first advent, 
is what was in the heart of Judas relative to betrayal. This failure, we know wasn't. We know that God's real goal, although deliberately hidden, was revealed to the holy apostles after the ascension and specified after Pentecost. And that hidden part, that mysterious part, hidden, now revealed, is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of God's promise in the Jewish Messiah. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of God's promise in Christ through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. His death for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension with the promise to return. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Causing me to say to you this morning, what great things God has done for us. Now 11 of the 12 named men here commissioned to extend the king's offer to Israel of the Davidic kingdom as promised at that time, will later, 11 of 12, later will stand on Ascension Mount with the resurrected Lord, having been instructed in the new form of the kingdom, including the formation of the Lord's church on earth. 11 of these 12 men will then be recommissioned to preach the gospel to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. These men would ultimately not in their remaining earthly lifetimes, announced further that the kingdom of God was at hand, but would proclaim, even as we do, salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's covenanted kingdom promise to the nation of Israel will be perfectly fulfilled in days ahead. But today is another day of salvation for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. God's eternal plan surely includes ethnic Israel. And we delight this morning to proclaim that God's eternal plan includes you. You are included in the plan of Almighty God. Romans 11.36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. God's children know that God alone is to be praised for creation. And God alone is to be praised for redemption. And thus, at the end of every worship hour this month of December 2023, 
we will stand momentarily to sing after prayer the doxology. Father, help us this morning to appreciate anew the great thing that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We've read of the calling and the gifting and the sending of the Lord's apostles. And we can, with open Bibles and the Spirit's prompting, understand principled application of such for us here and now. May we be faithful to our calling in Christ Jesus relative to salvation. May we be faithful to our calling in Christ Jesus unto a holy life. May we be faithful to our calling in Christ Jesus relative to service. And for that service, may we never think to serve you out of our own strength and capability, but always to serve you with the gifts that you have given to us by the Holy Spirit. And may we take on no task except it be a task that you assign us that we can live during these days on earth with an applicable sense of sin. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. <laughs>